Happy New Year. You know, in Psalms when it says, this is the day the Lord has made. This is a new year the Lord has made. I always feel a little challenged in January writing the dates, uh, the new dates on the checks and things like that. And as I get older, that pause is a little bit longer and longer. Um, my name is David Mortimer, and I'm one of the overseers at Jacob's Well Church. Overseers work with staff in governance to serve the church. And it was a little over 10 years ago that Nancy and I and our three girls began coming to Jacob's Well. And uh, I think we have a family picture. We, uh, this is a couple years old, but um, our daughters uh, 10, 11 years ago were 2, 10, and 12. So children's church was huge for my family. Children's Church, youth group, really important. I think that's why we started coming. Um, but what amazed me was the adult worship service and the caliber of the preaching and teaching of the staff here at Jacob's Well. I was just amazed. So I grew up in the church. My dad was a preacher, so I was a PK. Any PKs out there? Oh, yeah. God loves you. <laughs> it's hard being a PK. Um, then uh, spent 10 years on the mission field, met my wife Nancy, we started a family, uh, went to seminary, finished MDiv, and then pastored a couple churches, one inner city, Chicago, one rural country church in Mondowi. And so I have heard in my lifetime a lot of sermons, a lot. And when I came to Jacob's Well, I was amazed at the preaching. It, it's, the, the team was gifted and anointed, and they correctly handled the Word of God. I like the fact that we, as a church family, were always encouraged to take next steps to follow and be like Jesus. That we were encouraged to be self-feeders, to plug into small groups. And that was my first impression 10 years ago, and that's my feeling today also. So, back 10 years ago, I especially enjoyed Paul's sermons, maybe a little too much. After just about every Sunday service that Paul preached, I would say to Nancy something like, that was the best sermon I think that I've ever heard on grace. <laughs> Next Sunday, that was, I think, the best sermon I've ever heard on forgiveness. That was the best best sermon I think I've ever heard on the contempt box. So Nancy probably got a little tired of that after a while. So when it was not Paul that got up to preach, I'd lean over to Nancy and jokingly whisper, not Paul. <laughs> so when we're out of town visiting another church or family, I'd lean over, Sunday church, not Paul. <laughs> She'd laugh. So of course it's good that we all have tastes and preferences and maybe have a favorite preacher. That's okay as long as we're continue to able to learn from others too. Well, not everybody enjoys Paul's preaching. One Sunday, my five-year-old nephew uh, from out of town came to join us for church and he wanted to be in the adult service because he wanted to see the worship team. And so uh, after Paul preached and the worship team had finished, uh, the service was over, I asked him how he liked the service. And his face lit up. He loved the keyboards, the drums, the guitars. 
Then I asked him, what would you think of the message? Without even a pause, this five-year-old said, I was so bored, I almost drooled in my pants. <laughs> so, if you're here today and you've whispered to your neighbor, not Paul, or if you're brand new, maybe for the first time here at Jacob's Wall Church, and you're kind of worried that you might react to the message like my little nephew, you are in good company. So today um, is a time where a lot of the pastoral staff at Jacob's Well and the staff get some time off with their families after the busy holidays. And it's my privilege and honor to be with you today. So I'd like to begin with a prayer for our JW staff and their families. Please join me. Lord, we pray your blessings of rest and peace on the Jacob's Wall staff. Be with their families, help them recharge, renew their passion and vision, and fill them as they have expended themselves for us, for church. And Lord, pray that you be with me right now. I'm so humbled to share on what you would speak to us from Galatians. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit and the fruit of your spirit be present. Amen. So this time of year can be really difficult for some, some of us. Um, I know it's not my favorite time of year. Uh, it's the time of year after the holidays and the anticipation of Christmas Advent. And then suddenly it's all over. The presents are unwrapped and the families go home. And it's kind of back to ordinary time. An ordinary time, if you've ever been to a liturgical church, uh, some churches celebrate in the church calendar, Advent, Christmas, ordinary time that leads up to Ash Wednesday, uh, beginning of Lent. Um, so ordinary time is kind of this time for us in January, cold. I don't know, sometimes I feel like I have a vitamin D deficiency. Um, and then, you know, the credit card bills come in in January. So we're trying to take Dave Ramsey baby steps forward, and then the credit card bills come in, get the mail, and we take a couple steps backward. And the really hard part of this year for some of us is looking forward to a new year. Sometimes we're not, we're looking at that year without a loved one. Somebody that we've lost, and there have been a lot of, losses this past year. It's been a rough year for some of us. And it's difficult to look forward to a year without a loved one. Have you ever felt like that? Or know someone that does? In a time like this, ordinary time, it's a good time to dive into a passionate letter in the New Testament, the book of Galatians. Paul's letter to the Galatian churches is about extraordinary living in ordinary time. Now, just a warning, <laughs> this letter is a little bit edgy. It's confrontational, talks about circumcision all over. He's talking about, of course, the law. Circumcision represents the law, all those things, eating kosher, Sabbath keeping, all those regulations that the Jewish people had to keep for centuries. Um, he makes circumcision jokes. 
Um, he says some sarcastic and crude and a little bit rude comments a little bit later in Galatians 5.12 if you want to look it up. So the big picture before we get into Galatians is this. Historically for centuries, God's people, his covenant people Israel, were set apart. And one of the actual physical marks of identity, of course, for men, according to the covenant law, to be God's people was circumcision. Now, personally, I would have uh, done something different, like maybe a tattoo that identifies a motorcycle gang or something like that. But for the ancient Near East, God had a pretty good reason. Um, Separate sermon, separate day. So there was one ethnic group, Israel, God's chosen people. And in the midst of all this, there's political things happening. Rome has expanded into a world empire, and Jews are under foreign rule. So, then, the greatest event in all human history happens. God incarnate comes into the world. He lives, he teaches, calls disciples. Then he's crucified. Then the resurrection happens. And then, all these witnesses... The Lord ascends into heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes. The greatest event in human history. So Christianity began as a Jewish movement in Jerusalem. And its message was for all humanity, so it spread very quickly. The church really grew quickly. And many non-Jews were coming into congregations. They were synagogues, literally, at first. And non-Jew Gentile people were coming in. So God's PR team to spread this good news, of course, is, is really kind of funny. His sense of humor is evident because, of course, it was the disciples following Jesus, basically fishermen. And then Saul, Paul, comes on the scene, has rabbinical training, and he becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. So this Galatians letter is written about 18 years after the ministry of Jesus. So uh, it was addressed to churches that Paul personally knew. He started some of these churches, visited, planted them. And the letter opens, the tone is exasperated and angry. And you can imagine... Paul writing, dictating loudly to his secretary, pacing back and forth while the secretary tries to record the torrent of words. And sentences begin, but sometimes they don't end, and it's really difficult for Greek translators to um, make them into complete sentences. So the letter is kind of like a phone call. We We see only one side of the conversation. It's a warning against troublemakers. Possibly these troublemakers are Judaizers, Christian Jews, their allegiance to the law, they're teaching the law. These churches have accepted false teachings from these Judaizers, false teachings that narrowed God's grace. And these false teachers, these Judaizers, would teach that a Gentile that comes into our congregation needs to become a Jew first to follow Christ. So, They required Jewish badges of identity, circumcision, Sabbath observance, all the laws of Moses. So it was kind of pretty difficult. Works were added in order to be a Christ follower. 
So why was this such a big deal for Paul? This was splitting churches along racial lines, Jews and Gentiles. They even stopped eating with Gentiles. They were, in effect, creating a new gospel. So Christianity nearly died in the cradle right here. Paul, in this letter, had to defend his apostolic authority, his authority as an apostle, and he explained that the law, all those centuries in the past, served a temporary purpose, but it was now obsolete due to Christ's coming. So Paul insists that a person becomes right with God only by faith in Christ, not the works of the law. So what does that mean for circumcision? It's just purely a physical act without any religious significance at all. So when it's done for societal or physical reasons, it's acceptable. But when it's done to gain acceptance before God, it becomes simply bodily mutilation. That's Paul's words. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. I want to share this with you. We'll read this together. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus and heirs according to the promise. This is earth-shattering. It is absolutely earth-shattering because God's family no longer has any hierarchies of human worth. You are all children of God. So this was written, of course, to the uh, Galatian churches, but it's also written to us. You are all children of God. It means all of you. Quite literally, Paul is speaking to us today. In Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. Christ's work destroyed all those old partitions in the Old Testament. God's redeeming grace is available on equal terms to everyone. So the arc of history, just a big picture again, this is a little rabbit trail. God's plan from the very beginning involved the world. You know, it involved God's chosen people, Israel, this group, but... From the very beginning, it was the world. Let's just go backwards a little bit. John 3.16, almost everybody knows that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jordan River, when Jesus came up to be baptized with John the Baptist, what were John the Baptist's words? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the Israel, the world, that takes away the sins of the world. Go back a little further. The angels to terrified shepherds outside Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. What did the angels say? The Messiah's birth would bring great joy to all people in Luke 2. Even further back, the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, God's purpose through Abraham is to bless all nations, 
all the families of the earth. And then we have the creation order statement in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We all, we follow Christ or not, we all bear the image of God, the Imago Dei. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. This is starting to talk about the spirit. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And then it goes on to a list here. We're going to read this list, but are you ready for this? (laughs) These are the things that separate us further from God that harm ourselves, that harm the people around us and the people that we love. Okay, here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other. Some of us experience this every day, especially with um, addictions and, and other things. We experience the flesh and the spirit fighting. I have a piece of artwork that hangs in my wall, on my wall at work, um, that was done by my daughter when she was a UWEC student in the art department. Um, she is now a JW share partner on the campus mission with the Navigators and the University of Minnesota. She's actually here this weekend doing her fundraising back home. It's great to have her home. This story that this print represents is uh, attributed to a Cherokee parable. Um, It's a story of a grandfather using a metaphor of two wolves to describe to a grandson the two inner conflicts. And, of course, in Scripture, in Galatians, Paul calls that the flesh and the spirit. So the grandson asks, which wolf wins? And the grandfather replies, the one you feed. This is a picture of the Christian life. When we follow Christ, this conflict doesn't stop. (laughs) It continues on. So the works of the flesh... We get a glimpse, when Paul gives this grocery list, we get a glimpse of the Galatian churches. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. These churches in Galatia were not healthy. It was pretty bad. But you might wonder, why does Paul reference sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness, and orgies Um, You know, these are kind of like synagogue Jewish congregations and and orgies is just generally not the kind of thing you probably need to tell those kind of groups of people. But you have to remember that about half of these, uh, the population of these churches were Gentiles that had come in as Christ followers. And so they came from a very different lifestyle than the Jewish folks that for 
generations were observing the law and keeping the law and the Sabbath and everything. So, just for a bit of background, the dominant religion of the Gentiles back then in Roman times and previously in Greek for hundreds of years was uh, worshipping the mother of the gods, Sybil. Uh, it was a cult sponsored by the Roman Empire, even in the provinces, and even the Emperor Claudius, which was emperor around the time that this letter was probably written. Claudius considered it his duty to supervise this cult's festivals. The culture was marinated in this practice. It was a central cult in the immediate vicinities of the Galatian churches in Galatia. Um, Many of the cities that Paul visited on his missionary journeys were actually centers for the mountain mother worship and the festivals, Antioch and Iconium, for example. Um, they celebrated the, the mysteries of fertility, and you can imagine just, you know, their priestly eunuchs, uh, the, the, uh, folks like this may have even been coerced into this kind of thing. Human trafficking was huge in the ancient Near East, especially of boys. Um, possibly the cult supported or even participated in. There's a lot of darkness, a lot of uh, self-harm. It was a pretty savage religious practice. It even kind of um, lost the Roman uh, stamp of approval a, a little bit later because they're getting out of hand. So satellite cults like this were very familiar um, to people that are in these Galatian churches. And even in Acts 14, I always was amused when um, Barnabas was thought to be by the townspeople Zeus and Paul was thought to be Hermes and the priest of Zeus with the temple just outside the town came in with a bull and a bunch of reeds and they were going to sacrifice to them. So it, the whole culture was saturated with this kind of worship and the people took it really seriously. It was what you did. So it's hard to say if these Galatian churches had folks that were attracted to or had even participated in this cult worship, but they would have been familiar with it. And Paul had to spe specifically mention uh, behaviors that in his list of works of the flesh because it was probably for those gen new Gentile believers. Paul then provides a beautiful contrast to the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And by the way, crucified the flesh, it's grammar, aorist, past, perfect. It is done forever and complete. Crucified the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Verses 22 and 23 describe the fruits of the Spirit. And the first one is love. Agape, the Christian word for love. Unconquerable benevolence. It means that no matter what another person may do to us by way of insult or injury or humiliation, we will never seek anything else but that person's highest good. 
Agape is a Christian word. You don't find it much in other uh, classical Greek. It's not necessarily an emotion, although an emotion can follow agape love, just like a caboose on a train. So this is the word for love for God and love for neighbor. It kind of follows all these other fruits of the Spirit to follow it. It involves our will. It describes deliberate effort. And the best example of agape love, of course, is what Christ himself did for us on the cross. As you might expect, where the fruits of the Spirit are present, the church is beautiful. She does beautiful things. So, I can tell that you're probably thinking, these fruits sound really admirable, kind of like ideals and things that we should strive for and, you know, maybe put on. Um, Patience and joy. Here's my gentleness. Of course, kindness. Oops, got to be right set up. Can't go in public with kindness upside down. Faithfulness and oh, oh no, self-control. And then you try to put these on and they fall off. And You know, the Christian life is not like a fashion show where you put these things on. And in fact, it's interesting, Paul doesn't command these, does he? Paul doesn't command the fruits of the Spirit. He doesn't say, be gentle. He doesn't say, have patience. He doesn't say, be faithful, be kind. He doesn't say those things. What does he say? He says, walk in the Spirit. You can tell I used to be a children's church pastor. The fruits of the Spirit are not commanded. And the, um, you know, it's not like a badge that we wear on the outside to show or even prove to ourselves that we're a Christian. Fruits of the Spirit aren't that at all. Or to uh, uh, show other people or to show God. Those things do not justify us before God, do they? In fact, we cannot do anything to justify ourselves before God. I want to just mention, walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons. If you grew up in the church and you just need a refresher, what is the Holy Spirit again? And you know, um, or if you're new, I just want to recommend to you, Right Now Media has a great Bible study by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. You can find the app. You can get it on your phone. You can watch this whole Bible study. Uh, the book is also available in our resource center, just if you want a refresher on the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan's um, book and Bible study is great for small groups, and it's like Holy Spirit 101. Just a really good background. So we're told to walk in the Spirit. And these fruits are not things we put on. They grow. They follow. So how do we get fruits of the Spirit? It's not like instant where you go to the grocery and walk in the fruit aisle and gather your fruit. It takes time. Fruits are cultivated 
They have to grow inch by inch, row by row. If you look at the Christian life as a garden, and this is helpful sometimes, Paul is using garden imagery to explain to us that we have, you know, inside of us, in our heart, we have, or in my soul, that place where we meet God, we have a garden. It's like, I don't know, an internal ecology, um, that it's an ecosystem. You know, it's, it's something inside. It's that place where we meet God. And it's helpful to think sometimes, what does my garden look like? You know, if I haven't done a Bible study or even read the Word of God for weeks, and, you know, my prayer life, I don't pray every day, maybe before a meal occasionally. You know, what does that garden look like in the inside? Is it fallow? Or is it fertile? Is it being nurtured and the plants fertilized? You know, one of the um, things I enjoyed when I was a pastor was weddings and preaching at weddings. And you get to preach from Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is an image of a garden, a garden for a couple with God. It's like a private garden, beautiful imagery. And also advice, just, it's like, Tips from the master gardener for a wedding and a marriage that follows a wedding. You know, catch the little foxes that damage the garden. Just the need, you know, to, in our own garden that we have to weed, to cultivate. The fruits of the spirit are contrasted by Paul to the works of the flesh. And I put together, for, for those math geeks out here, I know there's one there, um, this is a formula, the fruits of the spirit and the works of the flesh. So the works of the flesh are me plus me times left alone. You just get works of the flesh. This is the absolute value. It doesn't quite look right, but um, absolute value of self, works of the flesh. That's what you get. Self cubed, all you get is works of the flesh. So... Fruit of the Spirit, my will resigned to God, plus the kindness of God and the Holy Spirit equals fruit of the Spirit. It's a partnership. We don't generate fruits of the Spirit all by ourselves, do we? It's Paul's advice. Walk in the Spirit, and then you produce the fruit of the Spirit. So at Jacob's Well, we have five commitments. Five commitments below, belong, grow, worship, serve, and share. And those five commitments are opportunities to practice the fruits of the Spirit. It's like opportunities to cultivate, you know, that garden. And I just want to close by just giving an example of applications of the Galatians fruits of the spirit families are beautiful with the fruits of the spirit that flourish and grow parenting is beautiful parenting's hard but with the fruits of the spirit it's a little bit easier and of course it's work it's hard work cultivating those fruits of the spirit but let me give you an extreme example where the fruit of, fruits of the Spirit can work. Politics. 
politics. This is kind of an extreme example. Um, when you think of contemporary politics and government service, people that serve in elected office, this might be surprising to many since so much of political talk is destructive and hurtful, social media, Facebook, profane or even hateful. So Galatians was written 1,970 years ago about, but the hallmarks of Christian behavior serve us well today in families, in marriages, in churches, in our neighborhood, even in politics. So in our own church family, we have a newly elected state legislator in the assembly, Jesse James. We also have Amy Trainer, who is an Eau Claire DeLong Teacher of the Year who was appointed to the governor-elect transition team. We're very proud of both of them for their heart for service and leadership. And JW members also serve on local state boards, commissions, councils, and volunteer things. And um, But what does the Apostle Paul say about our leaders? That we pray for them. We pray for all of them. Let me give you one example. I had a little two-year experience myself running for county board office. I ran one election, won, ran another election, lost. So this is just uh, an example of how the fruits of the spirit can even work in the public square. So first thing that you do, when you get your name on the ballot, you find out that somebody else's name is on the ballot, call them up, say, hey, Introduce yourself and say, look, we get together for coffee. So I had two opportunities against my uh, opponents getting together for coffee, getting to know them, letting them get to know me, talk about some things. And at the end of the conversation, I was kind of like, wow, you know, I really like you. If I wasn't running, I think I'd vote for you. And we had a great, kind discussion differences on some issues, ran campaigns, and it was really interesting how the fruits of the Spirit can even work in running something like a campaign. So, of course, the challenge in politics is that a lot of times it's struggle and battle with winners and losers, and it's about what you do with scarce resources when you get in office and budgets and things like that, and it's, it's, it's pretty hard. Um, but here's some tips for when folks are down in Madison doing work. These are also tips for marriage, for a relationship, for work, for parenting, for, for all of life. When we have these difficult d- discussions, make room to listen and respect Acknowledge common ground. Give the other person time to share. Acknowledge the issue might be complex. Understand the end goal. Seek common ground. And three postures for approaching all these kind of difficult discussions. Humility. We see through a glass darkly. We know in part. Humility. Grace. Extend grace to those with whom we disagree. And lastly, love. 
approach whatever it is that we're in as an act of love for God and for neighbor. Ideas for next steps. The devotion that you'll have for this week is on Galatians. Another idea, take one of the fruits of the Spirit and think about how could I apply this in a difficult situation that I'm going to experience this week. Just, just take one, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Also, our prayer room is available. For the Lord has put something on your heart, something heavy on your heart, even unrelated to what we talked about Galatians. That prayer room is available over there to pray with someone. But lastly, in the new year, you might want to join a group, a small group. There's an app for that, or you can go online, uh, Jacob's Well. Uh, or you can just phone call and find out what groups are available and join a small group. What a great way to help cultivate that inner garden with other people. Please join me in a closing prayer. Lord, for this coming new year, we pray for your blessing on our church family. Blessing on this new building, this tool to use to reach others and to minister to people. We pray for your blessing on our extended family and loved ones and also for all those in public office, especially those newly elected people that will be soon sworn in. I pray you might lead us on our own individual next steps, Lord. Just guide us. Help us to cultivate your fruit of the Spirit in our lives.